0: I invite you to turn your Bibles this morning to Philippians, the first chapter, not because this will be the text uh, of the sermon this morning. It will be one one of many texts I'll be referencing. But it's a fitting introduction, the subject on this first Sunday of the year, the mercy in our mortality. I'll actually end the sermon with this text, as a matter of fact, but I'll begin as well by reading Philippians uh, chapter 1, I'll begin reading, your text probably does this halfway through verse 18, or towards the latter part of verse 18, that's how it's better broken, and then through verse 26, New Testament letter, Paul's letter to the Philippians chapter 1. Is the word of God. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body whether by life or by death. For me, to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So that in me, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh Lord, we have wanted to begin well, as we number our days, a new year has begun and it rightly, naturally, inevitably places before us time and its use and our service to you and we pray that you will indeed give us a strong start and a strong finish, not only of this year, but of our Christian lives, wherever we and all of our diversity this morning, find ourselves living those Christian lives. Grant your blessing on our start of a new year together as a church under the preaching of the word in this message brought, O oh Lord, by your servant. We pray blessing on him and his hearers. For Jesus' sake, we pray it. Amen. So this is Stewardship Sunday at Resurrection Presbyterian Church. That's what we call the first Sunday of Every year, and it's an opportunity at the start of a new year, as old comers to resurrection know by now, uh, to give consideration to how we're going to use the year, which is to say to give consideration to how we're going to use what God has entrusted to us for a season in the advancing of his kingdom, seeking first of his righteousness. You know this, a steward is someone whose whole mission is to put to good use Something that belongs to someone else. And we as Christians are not our own. We've been bought, as the Apostle says, with a price. All that we have or speak of and think of as having is actually entrusted to us for the purpose of God's glory. Here's the problem with us stewards the master's away. He's left us in charge, and we have this tendency to just move into his house, to act like we own the place, to use our time, and money, and energies for ourselves more than for him. So Stewardship Sunday is an opportunity for us to recalibrate at the beginning of each year. To put our souls back into stewardship mode, you might say. Uh, This is a season, more broadly than the church, of course, for personal resolutions. And those can be very edifying things. How are we going to spend 2024? Now, uh, in this stewardship sermon, uh, you may find yourself wondering, I don't know what his subject has to do with Stewardship. And uh, I acknowledge in the outset uh, the mercy in our mortality, that's the theme of this sermon, isn't obvious, at least obviously, about living for Christ's kingdom. But what I've done is include a sermon within a sermon, if you will. The stewardship sermon is going to come under point three. I have three points. Under the third point is going to be. Three more points. Look for it. There'll be a sermon on stewardship under point three. Point one, I'll not take a lot of time on. Point two, I'll not take a lot of time on. I'll take most of my time on point three. That's the stewardship sermon. But it's under this broader theme of the mercy of our mortality. I'm going to be organizing some familiar biblical truths around this simple it is a mercy of God towards his people that our lives, here and now, don't go on forever. That's God's mercy. That mercy has everything to do with how significant these lives are for the life to come. So much is at stake in how we live our lives now. When you grasp how much is at stake in how we live our lives now, I think you'll agree with me, it's a good thing that this life doesn't go on forever. By the way, brothers, those of you who will be joining me on Saturday mornings to study the book, Being Mortal, uh, you're not going to get this from that book. It's written by a non-Christian doctor, surgeon, in fact, who is going to help us understand the aging process. He's, I think, going to give a great deal of insight as we seek to minister to one another as we age. And he's going to give us a lot of help in thinking about our own experience coming up sooner or later of aging, if the Lord is gracious to us. But one thing that author is not going to do Is to show us how our mortality, because we're God's children, is actually one of. It has become, because we're God's children, one of his tender mercies towards us. That's for today. That's for this morning. So three reasons that mortality is a mercy for the child... Of God, Number one, the mercy of God in your mortality is due to the escape from all suffering that it affords. Now you're tracking with me, you know where my mind has been. This is the point that we left off with in Genesis chapter 3. You we were here at the end of last year when we were last studying Genesis chapter 3, the resurrection regulars. Uh, in the congregation know, we were introduced to this whole subject of mortality in Genesis chapter 3, the curse of God on Adam for his sin, and there was a lot not to like about death as it was introduced to us in Genesis chapter 3. It's not pretty. It's, we saw this late last year. It's the undoing of God's creation. It's the disabling of us in our Exercise of dominion—it's the great capstone of all God's signs, marking this world of His hatred of sin. Not there's a there's a lot not to like about death. Do you remember where we saw from the vantage point of the gospel? Looking back at the curse, from the vantage point of everything we know in the scripture about God's saving purposes in the world and in our lives, do you remember that one little word in the curse that we took some comfort in? Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. till." That was the word. Till you return to the ground. Pain. Sweat. Not forever. Till you return to the ground. Looking back on the curse in light of the gospel of Christ, we saw, yes, this life is lived under the curse. But there is a life to come that will not be lived under a curse. Yes, there's pain and suffering in this life, but there's a life that's coming that will not have those things. The suffering of this life is going to end when each of us returns to the ground. And here's the point for this morning. Apart from your mortality, that suffering would never end. You see why it's good and right to consider death to be not only a curse, but a mercy. I don't need to linger on this because we considered it. This is where my mind has been running of late. I'll just point this out. if You're in Christ. You understand the way things really are. You don't want to live this life forever. You love, you love this life, you should. But there's a life coming that you'll love a lot more. being mortal, so it makes you able to pass this life to the life to come. Turns out death isn't all that bad if you die in the Lord. That's one of the reasons, by the way, before I go any further, that's one of the reasons why the Bible has these words. They're not euphemisms, they're expressions of faith and hope. It speaks of the death of the saints as a sleep. The Bible's not squeamish about death, it's not just trying to avoid an unpleasant topic. It's a sleep. He rested with his fathers. There's a mercy. In our mortality, because it's an escape from all suffering. Number two, the mercy of God in your mortality is due to the new start on life that it leads to. This is closely related. I've already begun to speak to this. The new life that your mortality, your coming death, leads to. Have you ever noticed that our lives as a whole are like everything else in the world? They're broken. Everything is broken in this world, including your life. Now, how does a life get broken? Well, the same way everything else gets broken in this world through sin, your sin, or other people's sins, and there are certain consequences of sin that become permanent, at least so far as this life is concerned. So you know this from your own experience and from the experience of those you love. You can suffer things at the hands of other people that change you, profoundly shape you for the rest of your life and not for the better. You can suffer things, sins of others, that break you. Consequences of those sins. Trauma and abuse, that's a big thing in our society. Maybe we're over obsessed with it, but it's all still very true. There is such a thing as lifelong scars come from other people's treatment of you. you. You've experienced brokenness in varying degrees of this kind. You've certainly experienced the kind of brokenness that's most direct, it's from your own sins. The Bible, I think, the most dramatic example of this may well be King David. Brother Andrew has been preaching on that episode in his life when he sins big and bold and bad. And by the grace of God, he repents deeply, thoroughly, profoundly. He's restored and... I didn't hear into your last sermon, I was away, but just in case you're not clear in terms of the whole of David's life, as much as he's forgiven by God, and restored fully to his favor, he's never the same. In the course of his life as king, his life is broken. Now, I'm not in the least wanting us to underestimate the power of God to heal us in this life and to restore us. Uh, Christians should not use the expression about themselves or any other Christian ruined his life. Not in a literal sense. No, lives aren't ruined when God's grace is at work, but they can be broken. And you know this, and this is leading me to this point this morning. Isn't there something merciful, about the fact that we don't have to live our broken lives forever. You want, you could say, God has ordained a hard stop for all of our broken living. A new start, a new sign of death. That's the theme of all the new creation, new... Life talk of the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That teaches that the new life actually begins before the old life ends. It's wonderful. You're actually beginning to experience new life now. But the old life doesn't come to a final completion till you die that's the hard stop of the broken life by the way isn't it pitiful in the true sense of the word that our, our world is so hungry for new life for recovery for uh, some dramatic change and turn and newness in our broken lives everybody's so desperate for that And they're looking for it in this life. Life is short. Get an attorney, says the billboard as I drive to Mississippi. You need a new life. You need a new life now, in this life. Do whatever you have to do. Get your new life. What a bitter irony. That, okay, maybe you do hit the lottery. Financially or relationally or what have you. You get a new life of a sort. In this life, maybe you do. And then you die. There goes your new life. But For the Christian, death is what brings the hard stop. To all the brokenness this life my mortality isn't all bad i won't have to live with my mistakes forever there's mercy of god in that so those are the first two of my three points the mercy of god in your mortality is due to the escape from all the suffering of life that it affords Secondly, the mercy of God in your mortality is due to the new start on life that it leads to. And this is my third point, and you're going to hear the stewardship sermon under this third point. Mercy of God in your mortality is due to your preparations for eternity finally coming to a close. That's also a mercy of God. Now, in order to make this third point about the mercy of immortality, I need to remind you of something that will begin to sound like a Stewardship Sunday sermon. And that is how incredibly significant every day of this life is for the life to come. So I want you to hear me say this under this third point. How you live This year has implications, even dramatically so, for the rest of your life in eternity. Now, for some of you, that's not so obvious, and I have some explaining to do. For those of you, that sounds right, but you need to be reminded why it's true. For all of you, let me start out by saying something that, at least among Bible-believing, historic, traditional, evangelical, certainly Protestant Christians, all agree eternal salvation becomes the possession of sinners in this life or never. We're all agreed on that. You will be saved or not in this life. So at least that day, if you happen to know when it was, we don't all, that's fine. But that day that you were first saved, even that moment that you were first saved, well, that, we all recognize, has eternal significance. There's no post-mortem salvation. That's how theologians talk about this. You follow you die. Your eternity is set. Now, that's true of the day of salvation. And that leads me to just pause and say, if you're a sinner who's had a lot of guilt over sin, because every sinner does, to some degree or another, and you've never done something about it, You need to cry out to Christ for salvation in 2024, even today. And if you do that, it will have, oh, the word's just too too small. It will have significance for the life to come. Huge significance. Okay. We all agree. But what if you've already done that? What if you have already accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? What if you have already put your faith in Him and you're living in sincere obedience to Him? What does the rest of life become at this point? Does it have any bearing on the life to come? Is it just one day or hour or moment in this life that has an impact on eternity? Or does every day of the Christian life in some way have an impact on eternity. Another way, I guess asking this is, you're a Christian. In terms of what you do in this life and its relationship to life to come, are you just killing time? Are you just in the waiting room? Are you just in the back seat of the car on a very long drive? doing whatever you do in the back seat to just kill time. You know the Bible has a bigger view of the significance of this life for the life to come. And it's not just one particular day, the day you first believe, that has such significant impact on the life to come. Here's my three points under my third point. You'll find these familiar, but I hope they'll also be helpful reminder, number one, the sufferings of this life, the ones that you will experience this year, when they're endured with godly character, bring greater glory for you in the life to come. Sufferings endured with godliness bring greater glory in the life to come. This is the teaching of the Bible that, well, let's start here, that Christian character is a glorious thing. It's because it's Christ-likeness. So Christian character in a sinner is a thing of glory. It uniquely is put on display when that Christian character is refined and tested by suffering. And many times that glory can be seen in this life. Jesus says in Matthew 5, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely in my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. He's connecting your conduct under trial with what's waiting for you in the life to come. Kids, you know this by now. It's always important to tell the truth and it's always a glorious thing. It's God-honoring when you tell the truth, but it's especially so when telling the truth means people will laugh at you. Right, kids? Sometimes telling the truth means people will make fun of you. God is especially pleased when you pass those tests that life brings in terms of godly character. And the Scriptures teach that as we live this life and as we suffer in this life and as we put more and more, by the grace of the God and the Spirit at work in us, a Christian character more on display and more refined by those trials, we're going to see a correspondence between those experiences in this life and the measure of glory that we partake of. With Christ in heaven, Second Corinthians 4: we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, He goes on to say, for this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. You hear him? He's joining suffering, affliction, with glory. So every day of your life, thankfully not equally hard, every day of your life brings this opportunity to put on display your commitment to Christ even when it hurts like crazy. I love the way the book of Revelation puts this. It's very vivid and it's counterintuitive to many of us in the church. It's depicting the saints in heaven, and the saints are in radiant garments, and the garments are woven from the righteous deeds done in this life. Revelation 19, it's after God has spoken of what he's going to do to the enemy of his church to avenge their blood. He then says, for the marriage of the lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. So here's a Stewardship Sunday reminder for you as you start together. Resurrection Presbyterian Church, the year 2024. The testing of your faith in 2024 is leading you. To the prospect of greater and greater glory, personal glory, in the life to come. Consider every day as providing new circumstances that are directly related to that future glory. Every day, little tests or staggering tests. are means by which you are readying your wedding garment. Glory of, hear me, spirit wrought, blood washed, righteous deeds amid all the suffering of this life. That will be your glory in the life that's coming every day. You have the opportunity in 2024 to put a little more glory on layaway number 2 number 1 was suffering greater glory number 2 service greater reward spelled out more fully the service of this life earnestly given to god brings greater rewards in the life to come you knew the ministry of this pulpit that you may not have heard a distinction that's often lost one, many and it's a distinction that scripture makes it's important to have this distinction clearly in mind whether or not you are in the heaven to come is all of God's grace has nothing to do with your labors your service your works whether you're part of the heaven to come is all of God's grace but the place of privilege that you will occupy there in the heaven to come be given to you in keeping with your service in this life. Did you hear the distinction? It's an important one. Not your presence there, oh, but the place of privilege that you occupy there. This is the doctrine of rewards taught in the Bible and uh, by no one more fully than our Lord Jesus. Luke 6.35, love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. Now, I'm going to paraphrase, but I think, it's fa- I think it's a faithful elaboration. Love your friends. You'll have a reward for that. Love your enemies. You'll have a great reward. Did you follow that? All this loving we're doing, it's going to be rewarded. Not because God will be obligated. Certainly not because we deserve it. On Judgment Day, God is going to overlook all that we have done that is sinful and disobedient. And all the impurities of our good deeds. He's going to overlook it all because of what Christ did on the cross. And he's going to take very close attention, give close attention... To all the imperfect but sincere service we have rendered. My favorite picture of this is of the parable of the talents. Matthew twenty-five. The master said to him, "Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Your life of service now." has everything to do with your privileges and the life that's coming. Do you see what this means for the significance of 2024? So, how's your retirement looking? I don't know how old you get to be when people start asking you that. I know that this year, because of a birthday coming up in July, I'm getting new kinds of mail. Yeah, I know who was laughing. You know what I was referring to. Very well, I'll take the discount. How's your retirement looking? Well, however it's looking has everything to do with what you've been doing for a while, right? what will heaven look like for you? I'm saying it has everything to do with how you're spending this life. Now, I will say again, please hear me carefully, all of our service in this life is flooded with the security and joy of knowing that someone else's work has secured our place in heaven. But also with this eager ambition of making the most of every day so that our reward, in Jesus' words, will be great. So here's a Stewardship Sunday reminder for you as you start 2024. Serve the Lord. Mindful of the reward. That has implications for how you spend your time. That has implications for how you spend your money. And those are typically things that come up in Stewardship Sundays. Uh, how are you going to spend your time? Ephesians 5, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time. Because the days are evil. There's, um, there's programs, uh, kind of clutter that accumulates on our phones and on our computers, I don't know a lot of what I'm talking about, but I know that things start slowing down and things start glitching because there's just been an accumulation of junk, right? Sometimes you just got to get a new phone. At least that's what the phone makers want you to think. Brothers and sisters, it's a really good time. Ask yourself, what are you wasting time doing? What are you wasting? Your life doing? It Might be really embarrassing stuff. might be mindless stuff. So clear it. Make that a resolution. That's a spirit-wrought resolution. And you know what? It also may not be embarrassing stuff. It might actually be good stuff. You could actually be proud of it. I set out in 2024 to build a new this or to redo that or what have you, and, and they're good things, and I ask you to consider the opportunity cost of them. What other things... That would be part of making the best use of the time, will you not be able to do? Because you're doing those things. I am so comforted that we don't jeopardize our place in heaven, our standing before God, by wasting time in this life. Salvation's by grace. But I'm also on my good days motivated by thinking my reward in heaven has everything to do with my making good use of my time remember Nehemiah's prayer Lord remember me for good this is what I've been doing I think it's making good use of the time remember me for good how you spend your money this year has everything to do with what heaven will be like for you. Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. I know that's so familiar, but can you hear in that the indictment? Of holding on, hoarding your stuff in this ever so fleeting life, especially when you are making use of that stuff has such a direct connection to your reward, your treasure in heaven. If you haven't learned if you haven't learned to live in such a way that you're giving at least a tenth of your income to the Lord, Malachi would start here. You're robbing God. That's actually not a good thing for this life. I'm simply adding to that you're robbing yourself of reward in the life that's coming. Like all good investing, the best time to start is now, the use of your money, and I preach this knowing that some of you are giving beyond the tithe, and many of us should, because we are so wealthy as the people of God in this place and time. So you Live this year recognizing that how you live has implications, even dramatically, for the rest of your life in eternity. Suffering brings greater glory. Service brings greater reward. And I have one more way in which living this life has direct impact on the life to come. Listen to this one. It's good. Fellowship with Christ in this life, earnestly pursued, heightens the joy of our coming reunion. You know this, brothers and sisters, this life is spoken of for the children of God as a kind of betrothal period. We call it an engagement in our modern society. There's a wedding day that's coming. We're engaged as the Church of Christ to the bridegroom, Paul says, I betrothed you to one husband, to the Corinthians, to present you as a pure virgin to Christ in that coming day, and you know that Revelation makes clear it's the marriage supper of the Lamb that he's talking about. Now, I have observed a widely varied length to human engagements. Some are kind of short, yeah. Yeah. Some of them seem interminable. They're so long. There are all kinds of variations, but here's what they all have in common. Between true lovers, all engagements have the effect of heightening the joy of the marriage. That's what a well-lived engagement does, and it pays dividends in the marriage. So there's lots of planning for married life that engaged couples typically do. That only increases their anticipation. There's all manner of alignment that's taking place between him and her, and that only increases the readiness to live happily ever after, as we say. This is a very common phenomenon. Engaged couples can hardly get enough time with each other, and it strikes little brothers and sisters as so very perplexing. My condolences to any little brother or little sister here who's seen an older brother or sister get engaged and you've had a very rational response. you said you're going to spend the rest of your life with that person, so why do you need to spend so much time now? Very reasonable. Except that it's the nature of the engagement season that love continues to build. desire for togetherness continues to grow. So that's another thing 2024 will do, or will bring, a year of engagement between the bride of Christ and the bridegroom himself. Here's the question. First Sunday of the year for you, in this respect, will you act like a lover? Who's engaged? Will you, this year, tragically and inexplicably act like you really don't see a need for all the fellowship with Jesus because you're going to have the rest of eternity to do that? As if that's the way it worked. Engagements. I want to remind you that every moment of sweet fellowship with Christ in this life Is sweetening heaven. So yes, yes, in your resolution, resolve to spend more time in the word and prayer this year. Resolve to find new ways of enjoying those means of grace with others. Commit to being here, body and soul. (laughs) Morning and evening, where Christ draws near. To those he's betrothed to. But. Don't put all that in the same category as the other two kinds of preparing for heaven. You certainly don't put it in the category of suffering in order to get greater rewards. Or sorry. Suffering in order to get greater glory. And you shouldn't, shouldn't even put it in the category of faithful service. That will yield a greater reward. Put it in its own category all its own category, put in the category of the way people act when they're in love and they're going to get married. Our relish for these ways of fellowshipping with Christ is in fact a primary indicator that we are in love and that we are headed towards a life together with him Ever. So how you live in this life has implications even dramatically for the rest of life and eternity. That was your three-point stewardship Sunday sermon. As I close, let me remind you that the sermon as a whole was about the mercy of our mortality and I had to show you, to make that third point about the mercy of our mortality, how significant even every day of this life is for the life to come. And I wonder if, as I talked about the significance of every day of this life, you found yourself, wow, that's pretty amazing that my life is so significant and I wonder if anybody said, yeah, it's, it's so significant, it's, it's unbearable. This life has implications for the life to come, not just one day or one moment, one hour. But the whole of it, it does. You say, that, that gives me some stress, Pastor. I don't deny it. A right view of the relationship between this life and the life to come brings a certain kind of pressure. It should. High stakes are involved. Opportunities will either be seized or missed. Mindfulness of a mission that we have that's both worthy and weighty. But friends, my word of comfort, in light of all that, drawn from an unlikely place. One day you're going to die. Every day of this life is incredibly, and apart from God's grace, unbearably significant, but take heart. Preparing for everlasting life won't take long. It actually won't take long. Your sufferings, weaving of glorious garments for yourself as you honor Christ, they're going to come to an end. and It won't be too long. Your service, all its imperfections, yet its sincerity, its laying up treasures in heaven, but it will be complete. Sooner than you think. Your fellowship with the unseen Savior of your soul, enlarging your anticipation for when you'll actually see Him, that will be consummated. And it won't take too long. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. And I'll just add, it's not uncommon to be even more than that among us. Guys, it's flying by. And that ain't so bad. Tests are good for us. It's nice to be able to put the pencil down, isn't it? Service is rightly our passion. It's also good to be able to say, I'm done. Nothing like being engaged. You get to use that word fiancé. But there's something obviously a lot better. Look what God has done with our mortality. Death itself, it's bad. No denying the curse. In terms of what it brings, Well, there's mercy in it. Paul speaks of both the goodness of this life and the mercy of mortality. He says, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. for That is far better. He puts... The mercy of our mortality in a nutshell. When he says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Don't know if I'll see all of you or if you'll see me this time next year. I know this. if you're in Christ. 2024 is Christ. If you live it. And if you don't, if I don't, it's more of Christ. Amen? Let's pray together. We do look at what you've done, Lord Jesus, taken the sting. You've taken the teeth out of our great enemy. Now he comes like a jailer, he's tasked with opening the door and setting us out upon a new life so much more glorious privileged, and intimate in our relationship with you. So we pray that you'd make our hearts ready for a year of laying up treasure, seeking glory to come, and foretastes of our Savior's love. Make us ready for this. And then, O Lord, make us ready to face our own mortality and all the hope of the gospel of Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.